Uh, it's a privilege for us to have uh, Pastor Michael and Jillian with us today. Um, Kathy and I have known them through our ministers' meetings for several years. They were previously in um, Activate Church Christchurch. And how many years were you there? Ten years in Christchurch. Wow. And before that, Michael will probably tell you a bit more. But, uh, but yeah, we got to know them. And then uh, recent, more recently, they've moved to Hamilton. And um, Michael's involved with Activate College and uh, the Bible school up there. And, uh, and he's also involved with the, the, the support of us as pastors. And I find, well, Kathy and I both find great encouragement from spending time with Michael and Gillian uh, when we get time to. It's a real blessing for us. And I'm looking forward to what Michael has to share with us today. But before he comes, uh, Gillian. Thank you, Phil. Michael usually makes me come up and do a little introduction and just so that you have some background as to who we are rather than just this couple who've arrived. So, um, yeah, we've been uh, pastoring churches over uh, parts of New Zealand for 30 years and uh, we were started in Paraparamu on the Kapiti Coast and had our two children there and then moved to Wellington and replanted a church down there. Then went to Christchurch and we tend to go in 10-year blocks. Uh, so we arrived in Christchurch just six months before the first lot of earthquakes. So we said, well, Lord, you must have us here for this season. Uh, and then uh, we've been delighted to be in the Waikato for the last 18 months. And, uh, yeah, we're loving it. We're really enjoying working with Sheridan and Jan at Activate Church. We live in Eureka, which is a tiny place just between Hamilton and Morrinsville. Um, and I work in Morrinsville. So God knew exactly where we were coming. Michael goes 15 minutes that way. I go 12 minutes that way. And... Uh, I say to Michael, he's in his happy place because uh, he used to be an orchardist before uh, he became a pastor and he loves uh, our acre and a quarter, which we've called Brown's Acre because many years ago his family used to run Brown Acres, so now we have one acre. So it's very cute, eh? Yeah. So we have two children, Jonathan and his wife Emma, and their two children, Oliver and Harriet, are in Christchurch and they're pastoring the Equippers Church down there and our daughter Catherine is in Petoni in Wellington. And um, I think that's enough from me. Cool. Well, you know yeah. Awesome. I thought I'd bet Gillian give an introduction and then you'll get the real story. <laughs> I'm big picture, but she's good with the details, so, um, so that's good. So lovely to be with you. We really appreciate you, Phil and Kathy. We've known you for a few years now, and just, yeah, just your consistency and walking the walk and doing the stuff. And yeah, you're an inspiration um, to us as well. You really are. So with um, Keelan's help this morning, if we can have that first slide, um, we're going to look at this uh, topic this morning. Is it up there? I can't see it, but it'll be coming. There we go. So we're going to think about how Jesus is anticipated in the Old Testament and revealed in the New Testament. It's part of a series that you've been doing, looking at fundamentals of the Christian faith. And as I was thinking about this and just thinking, where do I start with that? I thought of when I was young, just a few years ago, now, and um, I remember getting a hold of one of these rolls. You know, gre who remembers greaseproof paper? Do you still even have greaseproof paper? Or making it, maybe it's baking paper these days, or tin foil, or something like that. But I remember as a kid getting hold of, of the cardboard roll and holding it up to my eye and pretending it was a telescope. You know, that's what I mean, no, you know. No internet back in the day, no cell phones, no, no PlayStation, whatever. You know, we had to resort to the imagination. And I don't know when it was. It must have been a few years later. I'm not sure. But someone actually gave me a telescope. I remember that. And I remember when you held up a telescope, 
You know, it brought far things, things that were a distance, they brought it up close, but just as importantly, it gave those things clarity. And I want you to hold that picture of the telescope in your mind, because as we come to what we're looking at this morning, I think what the cross does, what the um, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, I think what that does is it brings the Old Testament and the New Testament into focus. It takes some of those things that are far off, like how do we make sense of revelation? How do we make sense of creation? Some of those things that are far off, it brings them closer together, but just as importantly, it actually gives them some clarity and some focus. So, so think about what we're talking about this morning when we're focusing on Jesus. Think about that as being like this telescope that we actually look through to get that, that clarity and that focus. So a scripture, our next scripture, thanks Keelan, is Romans chapter 5 verses 6 to 8. And I think this kind of sums up something of what you know, this kind of telescope is that we look through. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us for sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this remarkable truth that none of us were worthy but Lord, you came anyway, and you laid down your life for us. You, you became a human being, the incarnation. You took on the limitations of a human body. You walked amongst us. You died. You suffered a horrific death. You rose again. You're seated at the right hand of the Father. And I thank you, Lord, as we, as we grapple with the enormity of that, that it brings everything else in our lives and everything else in the passages of Scripture alive to us. It brings those things that are far off close, and it brings them into focus. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you give us wisdom and revelation as we look at how Jesus is anticipated in the Old Testament and how he's revealed in the New. Amen? Awesome. So if we can have the next slide, Keelan, I want us just to think about the why. The why. So why is this important? Why is it important that we understand how central the cross is to the Old Testament and the New Testament? And part of the reason I think it's so important is I think so many of us become distracted. I still remember Pastor Nick Klinkenberg, Nick and I. Does anyone remember Nick and Karen? Yes, Nick and I were in Levin. Now, not many people know where Levin is. I think Levin is even smaller than um, Te Awamutu. Not that you're small, just say Levin is smaller. But I always say, look, those of us from Levin, we've gone all over the world and all over the nation. In a room like this, who's, who's either been to Levin, born in Levin, or knows someone from Levin? There we are. See? I told you, you know, we're just everywhere. We're all over. So Nick was running the apostolic youth group. I was running the youth group for the Anglican Church. Nick used to think that we were very pagan because in the Anglican church, we had discos and we sold chips and fizzy drink and we made a profit. And the apostolics didn't do that back in the day. So um, that's how I first met um, Nick and Karen. We used to play an inter-youth um, tournament. It was a volleyball tournament and the, and the trophy was the coveted potty trophy. It was a plastic potty uh, with a like, it was a bit gross, with, but you know, it was youth group, so come on, with like a, a sort of a poppy sort of cemented in place with some plasticine. 
Um, and so that's what we used to play for. And then I came into the whole charismatic renewal and ended up being part of the apostolic church, and the rest um, is history. But it's so important that we understand um, the why Jesus is central to the human faith. And I find so many Christians today can be, we can just be distracted by other things. I was talking to Kathy about, um, about um, conspiracy theories. You know, did people really land on the moon? Or was it all just, you know, I don't know, was it just all make-believe and it, and it never really happened? Or what about COVID-19? Wasn't it manufactured in China as a biological weapon? You know, all of these things can be fascinated. I said to Phil, this could be a controversial morning. I'm sorry about that. But in the midst of all of that, we're to remember to keep Jesus central. Jesus is the main thing. And we need to understand what is the reason that we're here on planet Earth, is to bring something of the love of Christ into people's lives. Jillian and I moved to Christchurch, as she said, just six months before the first earthquake. She'll put my timer on by now, shouldn't I, Phil? So I've already had some time. And um, we, we arrived and we went through, you know, 10,000 aftershocks or whatever it was, and we got to Christchurch, and um, there were all sorts of um, conspiracy theories about earthquakes. There was the blood moon theory that somehow that the earthquakes were sequenced with the, with the blood moon that occurred. I don't know how often the blood moon occurs, every three months or whatever it was. Um, all sorts of theories. And then there was the theory about the judgment of God, that God had brought the earth to, earthquakes to Christchurch because as Christians, we were more wicked in Christchurch. Now, we had just come from Wellington, the seat of Parliament. I thought to myself, I don't think that as Christians in, in Wellington, we were any less wicked than we are as Christians in Christchurch. And so it was just a distraction from really focusing on the centrality of the cross and how important that is for our lives. Prophetically, I really felt this morning as I was preparing this message that God's saying, don't take your eyes off the ball. Don't take your eyes off Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus and you'll be in the best place to see something of heaven come to earth, that this is in a season of opportunity for the church. Don't be intimidated by what's happening around you. God hasn't been taken by surprise. God is saying prophetically to the church in this season that this is a season of opportunity for the light of Jesus to shine in the midst of the darkness. And with that, I felt God was saying, don't do it in your own strength, Michael. Don't do it in your own strength, people gathered here today. But allow God to fill you afresh with his spirit and to empower you to be the men and women that God needs us to be in this hour. And next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday when we remember how God came and filled his church with the Holy Spirit. One of my favorite scriptures, and I'm sure many of us would have heard this and we'll get um, Keelan to put it up for us, is from Matthew chapter 5 verses 13 to 16 and it's from the Message Bible. And it simply says this, let me tell you why you are here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out God flavors on this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness, will end up in the garbage. Here's another way of putting it. You're here to be a light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. You are light bearers. You don't think that I'm going to hide you under a bucket? No. I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I put you on there on a hilltop on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. 
By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to be open with God, this gracious Father in heaven. Wonderful passage of scripture, isn't it? I want to tell you a story about the Middle Ages in England. It was somewhere between the 5th and the 12th century BC. I was never good at AD, sorry. See, I told you I was never good at history. I never did history at school because I thought, I can't remember all those dates and figures. So I did geography, which I thought was uh, a preferred option for me. And then I got to Bible college, and we had to do church history. And I found the marvelous thing was it filled in all of these gaps in my secular history like the Middle Ages, 5th to the 12th century after Jesus was born. Is that right? Yes. And what happened, um, you've probably heard of some of the great plagues, like the bubonic plagues and other plagues that just swept the world at that time. And what they would do in villages is they would often shut the doors and just let the plague run its course. Remember there were no antibiotics, penicillin hadn't been discovered. All you could do was isolate the infection, let it run its course, probably burn everything afterwards and hope that you contained the infection there. Before the gates were closed, as people were streaming out of those villages, knowing that once the gates were closed, most people wouldn't survive, Christians would run into those villages. They would run into those villages, most of them knowing that they wouldn't survive the plague that would ravage in the midst. But they went into those villages because they wanted to bring the love of Jesus to people in the midst of suffering. Now, I don't know about you, that inspires me. I'm inspired by stories of Christians who went to take the good news of Jesus to Africa, and they packed their belongings in coffins, knowing that they would probably be buried there and never return to their home countries. Now, fortunately, we live in a time when the, I don't know, there's not a walled, ga- uh, not a walled city around Te Awamutu, is it? We didn't go past one. We're not, you know, they don't kind of lock the gate. I mean, COVID-19 is probably the closest, isn't it? Locked the border. Uh, we don't live in a time where we're packing our belongings and coffins and going somewhere to share the good news with Jesus. But you and I are to bring the good news of Jesus to our context, to our town, to our workplace, to our school, to, the, to our McDonald's, to our KFC, obviously. Fantastic. So what does it look like for you? What does it look like for me in my world to do that, to bring the good news of Jesus to people around us. The next slide, Keelan, is the big idea. And they say when you're speaking that people will only remember one thing. So if, if you're going to go to sleep, just remember this and then wake up before the end. And then when your husband, wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, whoever else is in the car nudges you and says, what was that guy Michael talking about? If you remember this, you'll be home and hosed, all right? Because you'll have it covered. So the big idea that we want to talk about this morning is Jesus' is central to the Old Testament and the New Testament. Okay, have you got that? What's the big idea? Perfect, okay. So if you're going to nod off, just don't snore because that's so embarrassing and someone beside you might have to poke you or whatever to wake you up. So this whole idea that Jesus is anticipated in the Old Testament and revealed in the New Testament. So we're going to go on a bit of a journey and have a look at that. So we're going to start at Genesis, simply because Genesis is the first book in the Bible. If we can have the next slide, please, Keelan. And we've got this passage of Scripture there in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, where it says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. 
Now, the plural pronoun is talked about there, and I understand Pastor Phil was talking about the Trinity last week. So I could test you on that, but that can be very discouraging for a preacher if you don't remember. So we won't do that. But simply to say that Jesus has always been in existence is a funny thought to get your head around. We talk about the pre-incarnate Christ. So, you know, when we think of Jillian and I had the privilege of going to, um, to Bethlehem, didn't we? Not a good experience. Um, it was just chaotic trying to get into there. It's under um, Palestinian rule. And so our tour guide had to get off. She was a Messianic Jew, so she got off and we got another one on. And, oh, I won't tell you about that. That's another story. But Jesus' life and ministry, you know, as a person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Son's ministry didn't just begin at Bethlehem. It's not as though Jesus just kind of popped up in Bethlehem. We looked at the place where Jesus was supposed to have been born. I thought, oh, maybe yes, maybe no, I'm not sure. But it's nice to know there's a physical time and place. It's nice to know in the, uh, the authenticity of the Bible story. That was awesome. It was just the place and all the hustle and bustle. And do you want to buy an olive cross and this and that that I wasn't quite so keen on? No McDonald's or KFC that I could see there anywhere. So not sure how Kathy would have got on. I'm sure she would have been fine. She would have adapted. But Jesus was involved. The pre-incarnate Christ was involved in the whole process of creation. He's always been there, always will be there. When Jesus died and is resurrected and goes to heaven, he doesn't say, oh, thank you, Father, this human body sucks. I'm giving it back to you. I've had enough of that. No, Jesus is now in heaven in his glorified human body. Who wants a glorified human body? I'm looking forward to a few. You know, I'm looking forward to a few modifications, maybe a little bit trimmer, able to walk through walls and stuff like that. That would be pretty cool. So, um, So Jesus is still fully human and fully divine. We're going to go to the Psalms. I've been teaching a course uh, recently on the book of Psalms, and Psalms is one of my favorite books of the Bible. I think it's one of my favorite books of the Bible because it, it just helps you to express what you can't express. Have you ever been in that situation sometimes, and you know you just, one of my favorite words my students say is, is miffed. Apparently another one of my favorite words is, you can put this in your toolbox. So I could use them both in the sentence and say, Sometimes when I'm feeling really miffed, going to the Psalms is really helpful, and I'll tell you why, and you can put that in your toolbox. How's that? Because as you read the Psalms, it just helps put emotions around what you're feeling inside. It's, it's kind of like a spiritual journal. You know, some of you perhaps write a spiritual journal, and in the midst, you know, you might write a letter, God writing to you, Dear Michael, I wish you'd get on with this sermon and stop getting distracted by all of the tangents along the way, get to the main point, whatever it might be. Psalms can be like that. They can help you just to surface emotions that you haven't got language for. And so we're going to read, with um, Keelan's help, Psalm 23. Oh, he's already got there. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths. He brings honor to his name. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. And then the next slide. Thank you. Your rod and staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessing. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. 
Now, the amazing thing about that psalm when David wrote it is it had context. It revealed something of the Father's love for his people in the time that David was writing. So people reading that psalm understood something of the Father's love, something of the, of the Father's care, something of God's love, God's care, Yahweh's love, Yahweh's care for them in their context and their world. But when we read this psalm nearly 3,000 years later, we see the messianic overtones. We see how Jesus came and really embodied and fulfilled the promises of Psalm 23 in a much greater way. And so we're going to go to the book of John, John chapter 10, to just see how his, the gospel writer John taken some of these thoughts in Psalm 23 and developed them in a New Testament context. If we can have the next slide, we're going to go to John chapter 10, and we're going to go to verses 7 to 11. So if you're following in your Bibles, that's where we are. Otherwise, they're on the slide for you. So John writes, developing this whole theme of you know, the Father being the good shepherd and, and really embodying in that in terms of what did that look like in terms of Jesus' ministry. I tell you the truth. Uh, this is Jesus' words in John. I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pasture. The thief's purpose is to kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. Notice how John has developed this imagery of God being a nurturing father in a way that's much more personal here. So this context of a, of a father who watches over us, when, we, when it's in the life of Jesus, we see that Jesus is really concerned not just about the physical needs of the sheep, but Jesus is concerned that this creation mandate that we were given in Genesis to rule and reign is really being outworked so that we might enjoy a rich and satisfying life. That's someone, something that someone reading Psalm 23 in an Old Testament context wouldn't have understood in the way that we read it 2,000 years later in light of Jesus and think, of how is it that Jesus is the good shepherd for us? You know, there are times in life, and I felt this was prophetic for someone. It's certainly been true in Gillian and my life. There are times in life when you're honest you just feel as though you're surviving. You know, you're just getting through day by day. We talk, and it's another story, I won't go into it this morning, but we talk about when we had our three years from hell with our daughter, um, who we adopted and from when she was 12 until when she was 14. And, and during those three years looking back, we just survived day by day. And we, we're grateful to the people of God that were on that journey with us and helped us to get through that. But I felt the word of the Lord to us this morning is, it's okay to be in a season like that, but don't camp there. Don't let it become your new normal. And I just had a strong sense that for some of us this morning, you're in a season where you're surviving, and that's okay. There's no condemnation in that. But the word of the Lord to you is, this is not your new normal. Don't camp there, because God has a rich and satisfying life for you. The next slide that um, Keelan's going to put up for us is John expands this theme a, a bit more in verses 14 to 16, this whole theme about um, the good shepherd and what that actually looks like. I am the good shepherd. 
I know my sheep and they know me. Just as my Father knows me and I know the Father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have no other sheep, so I have other sheep too, and they are not in the sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice, and they will be one flock with one shepherd. Again, can you hear the level of intimacy in Jesus' language? Jesus, the good shepherd, not just to provide, to guide, to protect, to comfort. Jesus knows the sheep who belong to him. And Jesus also is looking for the sheep who are not yet in his sheepfold. Now, there was no thought of that when in an Old Testament context you are reading Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I was thinking about what is the one thing that you can't do when you're in heaven? The first thought that came to mind is that you can't sin. And that was the wrong answer, I decided. The second and more important thought was that you can't share your faith with others. We have a unique opportunity here to actually share something of what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus, something of what the godliness of Jesus looks like in our life, something of what it means to bring out God's color, to bring out God's vibrancy in the world in which we live. We are the ones that have the tremendous privilege of bringing something more of heaven to earth. And friends, that's something that we can't do once we're in eternity. And I felt a real urgency in my spirit is that we are to share our faith with those around us. We're called to be witnesses. We can't make someone become a Christ follower. All we can do is, weren't you blessed by the testimonies this morning? They're wonderful. And that's all we can do, isn't it? We can just share our testimony, our story, with the people that God brings across our path this week, wherever they are, whether they're at school, whether they're at work, whether you're a stay-home parent and you're sharing the truths of God with your children and other stay-at-home parents, whatever your context is, whether you're at work, whether you're on the sports field, we're just to bring out God's love, God's purpose into those contexts and believe that those people will see something of Christ in us. And we can only do that while we're alive here on earth. Once we're in eternity, that's something that's no longer possible for us. So we're to make the most of that opportunity. The next slide that um, Keelan has for us is John 10, verses 27 to 30. And Jesus says, "My My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them and follow them. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me, for the Father has given them to me. He is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. You've probably heard the illustration that God holds us in the palm of his hand. And that no one can snatch you out of that hand, but that you can walk out of that hand. And there's a sense of God's care and God's nurture, security, that no matter what we face in life, God has got our back. You know, sometimes we're in circumstances that are just beyond us, and sometimes God will remove those circumstances. But other times, God won't remove those circumstances, and it's jolly annoying. And in those times, God gives us the grace and strength to be able to walk through those circumstances. But either way, God is with us in the midst of the circumstances. And there's a wonderful assurance here that Jesus is on the journey with us, an assurance with someone reading Psalm 27 in an Old Testament context did not have the Spirit of God residing within them. The Holy Spirit lives within us, walks with us, gives us strength, gives us inspiration. My, my kind of, the way I live life like the, is like this is, God, if you got me into this situation, you're going to have to help me. And I've been in some pretty 
interesting situations. I'm sure Phil has with some of his missionary stories. We've been up to Papua, Papua New Guinea a few times, into the highlands of Papua New Guinea. And it gets quite wild up there at places at times. Um, another story, I won't digress. But, you know, God, you put me in this situation. God, I'm relying for you to come through for me. Now, sometimes Michael puts himself in situations all by himself. <laughs> and I pray, God, you've got to help me. And I feel God saying, my son, you got yourself there. You get yourself out. You know, so the sense of, Lord, I'm sorry. I've missed the mark. Please, would you come and help me? Okay, I'll sort out this mess for you or whatever it might be. But if we're in a situation because God's got us there, we can trust him. That's the assurance of salvation that we have, that God will come through for us in those situations. Last slide from John chapter 10. Thanks, um, Keelan. I'm looking up there for him, and he's over there, but he's almost omnipresent. So, uh, Verses 36 to 38. I say, I am the son of the Father. After all, my Father sent, set me apart and sent me into the world. Don't believe me unless I carry... Don't believe me unless I carry out the Father's work. But if I do this, believe in the evidence of the miraculous work I have done. Even if you don't believe me, then you will know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Friends, miracles are signposts of the kingdom. Wouldn't you love to open the, what is it here? The Tiawamutu Times Daily Courier. We get the Cambridge something, don't we? The Cambridge edition. We don't have it a Eureka edition. We have the Eureka News. It's almost gestetnid. You probably don't know what that is. But it's like photocopied and it's stapled together. And um, yes, but it was not the same as the Tiawamutu Courier. Imagine if you opened that. Miracles break out at Zion Church on Sunday. Person leaves crutches at the front and goes running down the aisles. They're signposts of the kingdom. Do you think there would be people in church next week? I bet there would be. And in Jesus, that was the authenticity of Jesus' ministry as they saw signs and wonders and miracles happening. And so you and I have been filled with the Spirit. Jesus said, greater works will you do in this day than I have done. I thought, well, Jesus, raising people from the dead, that's pretty hard to improve on. What am I supposed to do? But I don't think Jesus is talking about, you know, sort of, uh, in that sense, uh, qualitative but there's more of us. There's more of us than the 12 disciples in this room. Imagine if we were filled in the, with the Spirit and we were just praying for people in our context, in our place, saying, oh, I'm so sorry to hear about, um, you know, that your husband's broken his leg. Can, can I pray for him? And just, we can't make it happen, but just letting the Spirit of God work through us. And so Jesus is encouraging us here to understand that something of the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is the one who empowers us in a New context, Testament context, fills us with his spirit, and now says, I want you to go out and be shepherds. I want you to do greater works than what I did as signs that the kingdom is here and with you. So just to try and pull this to a close this morning, I don't even think my timer even started at all, Phil. <laughs> That must have been God. That must have stopped time. So, <laughs> so if we can have the next slide, um, Keelan, that would be great. How is Jesus revealed in the New Testament to connect with God's plan of redemption? Just a few things. I think we've had a couple pop up there, um, but that's fine. 
The first is just the genealogy in Matthew. Have you ever been guilty like I have that you open up Matthew's gospel and there's all that genealogy? And you think, what's that there for? I'm not going to read all of that. Or you just zip through it and I'm getting on to the good stuff. I want to tell you a story about missionaries who went to people where um, a group where they didn't have language written, so an unreached people group, and, um, and they would tell stories um, orally, uh, much like early Māori did with their, with their whakapapa. And, and, and the missionaries laboured in this context for years, and there was very little fruit. And they diligently wrote the language for these people. So, you know, l- linguistic people go in and they actually work out what the alphabet is and actually script out what the language will be. And then the indigenous people actually have to learn this language. And then they translated Matthew into the, these people's heart language. So a long process, maybe 10 years to do that. And there's only been like one or two converts over all of that time, feeling that, man, we're just going to get this job done and then we're going to go back to where we came from. This has been a disaster. And so the people are now reading the book of Matthew in their heart language. And they said to the missionaries, why didn't you tell us about this before? They said, tell us about what? Tell us about Jesus' ancestry. Now we know He's who you say he is. And a wave of revival spread through that people group with many coming to know Christ. They wanted to know Jesus' whakapapa. They wanted to know what gave him the credibility to be the person that he claimed to be. And in oral tradition, that's really important because the stories aren't written down. The only reason the stories have validity is because you know who was telling the story before the person telling the story. And so when they saw this, it really led to lots of people coming to know Christ. So the genealogy of Jesus is important. And I just wanted to say everything we have in the Bible is there for a reason. So I'm always saying to students, don't be be lazy about that. Don't just say, oh, it's fine to put things on the top shelf and say, I don't understand how this fits. But don't just dismiss stuff and say, oh, that Papa stuff. It's, I don't know what it's there. Waste of time. And carry on. It's it's there for a reason. The next um, note there is quotes from the Old Testament validate the claims that Jesus is Messiah. And one of the best places to look for those, I'm going to give you a website to go and do this for yourself because I thought I could have done the whole message just on this, but I wanted to give you a bigger picture. Uh, Are the servant songs in Isaiah? And one of the most well-known ones is Isaiah 53. So thanks, Keelan. We'll have the next slide. This is Isaiah 53, 1 to 6. And when you hear this, remember that this was written... Um, you know, a long time before Jesus was born. But when we read it, we hear the messianic overtones in it. Jill and I had the privilege of being in Israel in 2019, just as well it wasn't 2020. And we had the privilege of going to Qumran and seeing where the, where the Dead Sea Scrolls came from. We went, you can't physically walk into the caves, but they were kind of like across the, I don't know what it was, ravine or whatever to get to them where Bedouin shepherds boys were casting stones, as boys were, and they threw one into the cave, and they heard something break. And so they went in to discover what it was, and it was a clay jar, a large one, that that parchment or scrolls would be kept in to persevere them, probably put there maybe by the Essenes or someone like that when they would have been under persecution, and they, they would have taken all of the scriptures you know, out of the temples or wherever and put them in places Um, to keep them safe during times of persecution. And in those Dead Sea Scrolls, we have portions of Isaiah that are a thousand years older than anything we had previously. 
There's more evidence for the Bible than there is for writings of Julius Caesar or other well-known English, you know, we think Julius Caesar, we'd never question. Who had to study, who, do you still have to study Julius Caesar at school or is he gone? Probably gone. Who remembers studying Julius Caesar at school? No. Well, one, I see one hand, two hands, three hands. I'm not sure that I was paying attention in class to actually be able to answer that question. But, you know, we never would have questioned the writings of Julius Caesar. There's so much more evidence for the Bible and we can have confidence. So Isaiah 53, 1 to 6. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? A servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender shoot, like a root in dry ground. There is nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract him, us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. When we turned our backs on him and looked the other way, he was despised and we did not care. The kind of picture as we read of that, imagine what that must have looked like for Jesus. You know, beaten, bruised, crucified on a cross. We can have the next slide, Keelan. I'm not going to read all of this for the sake of time. Yet it was our weakness, yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And through his troubles were a punishment, and though his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be made whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. And Matthew picks up those sentiments. And I won't read all of it for the sake of time. But the next slide, Matthew 8, verse 17. Matthew actually quotes um, from the book of Isaiah. And Matthew's writing to a Jewish audience, so he, he uses lots of Old Testament passages in his writing because his audience would have understood that. And he wants them to understand, hey, you know the Messiah that you've prayed for each year when they gathered together for Passover, they'd say, and next year in Jerusalem, Messiah will be with us. Next year, next year. You know the Messiah that you've been waiting for, he's here now in our midst. And Matthew's saying that, and he quotes Isaiah 53 and verse 4. You can see it there in the slide. He took our sickness and removed our diseases, as Matthew is telling the story about a demon-possessed person who was brought to Jesus, and Jesus healed him. Matthew says, hey, this is what Isaiah was talking about. This is Messiah, and he's now doing it in our midst. Next slide, thanks, Keelan, and we're nearly there. So we've talked about... Um, how Jesus is connected to the New Testament. We've talked about the genealogy being important. We've talked about uh, quotes uh, from the Old Testament. Uh, thirdly, Jesus is the culmination of the promises delivered to the prophets over a period of time. And uh, the next slide, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17, it simply says that Jesus didn't come to abolish the Old Testament law. Jesus came to fulfill the Old Testament law. And so Jesus is anticipated in the Old Testament, revealed in the New Testament. The next slide, thanks, um, Keelan. Um, and I'm not, sure whether the, I'm not sure whether you can click on that and the link will work from the internet, maybe not. But there's a, the Jesus Film Project. If you go to the Jesus Film Project, you'll find a list of 55 Old Testament prophecies and how they're actually fulfilled in the New. So I'll send these slides to Pastor Phil and then he'll have that link. And um, if you want that link, go and you can follow through and just see again and again prophecies in the Old Testament and how they're actually fulfilled in the New. And the last thought, if we can have the next slide, thanks, Keelan, 
is that when the Old Testament texts are sometimes quoted in the New Testament text, the words are used fulfilled. So it's like making a direct kind of connotation. So you've, I won't read through the other three. So, for example, in Matthew chapter 1, 18 to 23, we're reading about the birth of Jesus. If we can have that slide, thanks, Keelan. And um, we're reading through the first part of it, and then the next slide would be great. In verse 22, he's talking about, you know, Jesus was born of his mother Mary, married to Joseph, and Joseph was a righteous man and does not want to disgrace Mary publicly. And then the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, take Mary to be your wife. She's with child, conceived by the Holy Spirit. And then Matthew says uh, in that next slide, verse 22, all this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. And he quotes Isaiah 7 and verse 14. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Amazing. Can we have the worship team back? I thought they might have be back already and they might have kind of slipped behind me, but this is what I want us three things I, I want to leave you with this morning. And in a moment I'm going to ask whether you know the Holy Spirit's really speaking to you about these and you'd like to respond. I'm not going to embarrass you and ask you to come to the front. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand so I can see where you are and just include you in my prayer. So if we can have that next slide, Keelan, thank you. The first thing is you can be confident in the accuracy of the Bible. It was real eye-opener for Gillian and I being able to be in Israel. It was the first time for Gillian, the second time for me in 2019. I think we were there September, weren't we? And just actually physically walk where Jesus walked. One of the things that really impacted us most was at Medala. Um, and there was a first century temple there, and the, you could still see the mosaics. And this is where the woman reached through Jesus' feet um, to touch him. She'd had an uh, issue with bleeding, hadn't she? And she touched Jesus' feet and was healed. I thought, I can see tiles laid in a, I guess it was a Byzantine church or something like that, a resurrected, you know, um, there to commemorate this miracle a hundred years after it happened. I was really tempted to go across the rope, actually, and just stand on it. <laughs> but Gillian said, no, you can't do that. No, she didn't, but <laughs> I didn't do that. You can have confidence in the Bible. I don't know where you're feeling a bit shattered, you know, a bit, a bit thinking, oh, I'm not sure whether the Bible's real or I don't get some of this stuff. I understand that. But you can have confidence in the, in the accuracy of the Bible. Write down your questions. God delights in our questions. And start to learn, start to search for the answers you're looking for. The second thing is keep the main thing the main thing. You know, if you're going to get involved in conspiracy theories and stuff, I guess that's all right. But just keep Jesus the main thing. You know, sometimes we think, oh, God's been caught by surprise. Friends, God's plan for the redemption of humanity started at Genesis. It finishes at Revelation. And God's plan's on track. You know, it doesn't matter whether COVID-19 was made by the Chinese as a biological weapon. It doesn't matter whether the earthquakes happened because of the blue moon in Christchurch or whatever else you can think about. It doesn't matter whether men and women landed on Mars or didn't land on Mars or moon or wherever it was. God's revealing his purposes. He's unfolding his plan of redemption and we get to be part of that. And lastly, don't do this in your own strength. Be filled with God's Spirit. Tap into the 
power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work within you and me. And we were designed to live that way. So just as heads are bowed and eyes are closed for a moment, is there any of those areas that you feel you need to respond to this morning? Just having a, a new appreciation for the authority of the Bible, the accuracy of the Bible, keeping Jesus the main thing, maybe the focus has just got a bit blurred for you, whether you're committing your life to Jesus for the first time or whether you're making a recommitment. And the third area was being filled with the power of God's Spirit. Anyone need to respond in any of those three areas? Can you just put your hand up so I can see it? Thank you. Thank you, I see that. Four hands I've seen so far. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for this journey that we're on. And thank you, Lord, that you're on that journey with us. Thank you that we can have confidence in the Scriptures. What an amazing, what an amazing book we have. What an amazing collection of narratives and testimonies. Lord, we're so grateful for your word. And thank you that our lives are transformed through the reading of your word. Lord, help me and help us to keep you central in our lives. Help us to keep you the focus. As we think about your death, burial, and resurrection, help it to be the telescope that we look through that those things that are far off brings them closer and those things that are blurry, it brings them into, into a focus for us. And Lord, I pray... I pray the blessing of Jesus over every person, every family, every household, every whānau represented here today. And Lord, I pray, would you fill us with your spirit day by day so that we can be the people empowered by the spirit of God to do the things that you want us to do, to bring heaven to earth, to show people in the world in which we live what godliness looks like and in through our lives. Amen.